everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write, that's also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's all creative, baby. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are... Uh, funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about the PNWA at pnwa.org. And interesting conversation. Unique person, Cassandra Cause, an award-winning game writer and former script writer, writer at Ubisoft Montreal. Cause work can be found in places like the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Lightspeed, and Tor.com. Cause uh, first novel or novella, Hammers on Bone, was a British Fantasy Award and Lucas Award finalist, and their novel or novella, Nothing But Blackened Teeth, was a USA Today bestseller, Bram Stoker, Stoker Award nominee, and Indie Next Pick. The Salt Grows Heavy is their latest novel, and what an interesting person we talked about. Well, all kinds of stuff, you know, unusual uh, background, their eidetic memory. <laughs> uh, Anyway, it was a fun conversation, and, well, I look forward to sharing with you now. Enjoy. All right, well, listen, I'm talking to Cassandra Kaw, whose book, as this is going live, is out for everyone to, to read. Cassandra, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right. Now, we're recording this beforehand, but so we're in that week leading up to this is your second novel you've published. You had a novella you published. Is that right? Before? Oh, no. I, I, this is actually my eighth. What? Oh, God. All right. Well, but the publicity information book. sent to me was lacking. <laughs> it is my second book with Tor Nightfire. Ah, gotcha. Is, uh, there were projects published with Tor.com. Um, and, but on books, which I think has gotten rolled into Solaris. I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, under the Rebellion umbrella and era one books okay all right my apologies all over the place okay well i am sorry about that but this is second book with tour but uh you know so it's funny um your last book which was oh god i'm blanking on the title now because it's okay so i'm gonna be i'm gonna be very honest with you they sent me the book to to have one of these conversations the cover so freaked me out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I, I can't do it. I can't do it. So Cassandra writes, among other things, horror, as is the horror-ish. Yeah, would you say it's in the firmly in the horror genre, or in in your how do you how do you think of it? In at least your latest books, dark fantasy. Okay, horror. it depends on um, your predilection for certain things and your tolerance for gore. If your tolerance for gore is low, definitely horror. With a little bit higher, I think it sort of crosses into dark okay. fantasy. Oh, I like that. I like that you're adjusting the genre based upon the reader. You are the first author I've heard who who's done that. So good for you. I think there's some truth in that. I think there's some truth in that. Okay, so but before we get and my tolerance for gore is like so low, <laughs> so it is getting lower the older I get. In fact, oh, so this dear. is just this is how it goes. But um, before we get to that, your if I understand correctly, your professional creative career if we could call it that began in game writing is that did that precede your novel your professional novel writing or were they happening simultaneously oh 
um, they're happening simultaneously. In fact, I am still in the games industry. My day job involves doing narrative design for various companies, from like big triple A stuff to like little indies. Um, oh, okay. The whole spectrum. So you still have a day job. Good for you. And you clearly, you might, I, I suspect you enjoy it. It's not simply there to pay the bills, or maybe that's it. I think eventually every job becomes something you do to pay the bills with, because with regularity, uh, the novelty wears off. There's a little bit of boredom. There's a little bit of tedium. Uh, but in terms of day jobs, uh, it's probably one of the better ones one can have. Right. If you're, because you're a writer, I, I, I assume you, I just... I sense in you a person who, from when she, you were just a little tyke, was oh. already scribbling in their journals, reading voraciously. Is this true, or were you was writing nothing you were interested in until you hit college or something? Uh, I was a voracious reader. It came to a point uh, where my mother was saying, you are not allowed to purchase more books. Uh. The story, you cannot have more <laughs> books. As every mother does say, eventually. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, I grew up in Malaysia. So, like, with the import taxes and exchange rates oh, and all, oh. like, your average novel came up to, like, $50, $60. Holy crap. So, uh, what about a so Kindle? I, I wasn't Kindles. It doesn't exist back then. I was very happy when Kindles became invented. Oh. Uh, and the problem was I was also a speed reader. Um, no oh. one actually taught me how to read or speak English. English is my third language, in fact. And so nobody wow. taught me how to read slowly. <laughs> no one told me you're not supposed to read a paragraph at a time. Wow. Ah, okay. So with all of that, my mother would be like, okay, here's a stack of 10 books that should keep you busy. And the next week I was like, do we go to the book? Wow. My mother was like, absolutely not. Stop reading so quickly. Wow, you were some kind of savant. You were a reading savant. Uh, and how old was you? Were like 10, 12, 13 when all this was happening? Oh, uh, yeah, around that age. And um, so I also got incredibly obsessed with the dictionary. I think for a span of four or five years, it was my favorite book. I would just <laughs> happily read through every single entry, wow. delighting in the words. Wow. And do you have a very good memory? I do actually. I didn't remember. It's uh, it's dimmed a little bit as I've gotten older, but uh, I still annoy everyone when I recollect uh, conversations and arguments. They're like, "This doesn't happen." I was like, "In fact, yes, it did." And you're wearing X Y. Wow. Okay, so you have a very alive mind, hungry mind uh, for. Absolutely useless in mathematics, though. Oh, interesting! But math, it couldn't, it didn't, it didn't want to do with math. It wanted nothing. Oh, to God, do with absolutely math. not! I failed every single class. Um, for my final year of high school, I remember distinctly cheering because I'd gotten a C minus, the only C minus I'd ever wow. gotten in my life for mathematics. I failed every class every year. Before. That's so funny. Okay, so you, it's just you're on the. If it's just words, you're good. If there's words yeah. involved, you're good. Otherwise. You're not interested. You need that, no. right? And so, but were you? No, when did you? When did you start writing your own stories? Um. Well, like actually writing, right? I think I was in college, in fact. Oh, so that came later. Oh, interesting. Okay, so talk I to me like about right, that. Right after college, um, I originally wanted to get to work in forensics. I was fascinated oh. with corpses and biology and everything. I was a macabre little kid. 
And my mother told me very distinctively when it was time for college, I was like, could I do this? And she was like, no child of mine is going to play your corpse. It's absolutely the problem. Wow. Wow. And I got tossed into an IT school and she was like, you have to choose one of these streams or you're not getting college education. So I went into computer engineering and uh, that was a really fun three years for various reasons, including the fact I ended up paying for some of my college fees by doing my teacher's homework for that. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, it got oh. to a point. So there was a lecturer and I with a scheme. So she would write the actual thesis and I would actually do the programming bits of it. So I wow. there was a class I had where the teachers tried to get me to pay attention. And I was like, I'm doing your master's homework for you. I don't care. Wow. There's nothing you can do to convince me to pay attention to you right now. Wow, you are such oh. a restless spirit. Okay, so this is interesting. So you so you get out of school, so you go for you go for computers, but you how quickly did you transition from from programming into game design? Um, so it's a very complicated course. Um I did work with like neural networks for a while, and then a friend randomly was like, Hey, do you want to do a website for me? I want to play start like a game show or something. Like, I'm like, you know what? Sure, why not? It's a little bit extra cast and you're a buddy. So I did that. And then he was like, do you want to write an article for this? And I'm like, sure. I did. Absolutely no one read it. It had zero page views for months. <laughs> and I was very offended by the whole thing. So I got it into my head that I had to go travel to America and follow the gaming circuit, you know, in order to interact with people like editors and like other game developers, directors, what have you, in order to get attention. So to follow my money. Flew to San Francisco, crashed on the couch of a friend whose photograph I had never even seen before. That, which was definitely wow. a choice for younger guys. Yeah. And then started following the conventions, discovered very quickly that the exchange rate meant I ran out of money in about six months. So I spent six months in New York uh, trying to gather money and dancing in the subways in order to afford lunch. You 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 like like you were instead of busking you were dancing you were like a dancing version of busking in the subways. Oh, that there are a lot of dancing busters, especially in New York, like being chased by cops across the subways. Wow! So you were so doing that? Yeah. So I was doing that, and eventually made my way to Europe. And around that time, um, the games and tech journalism career got off the ground. Um, I kept traveling, and somewhere in between that, I kind of. Then slipped into public relations for a small uh, game publisher. And then from there, I did writing for my first game. She remembered Caterpillars, a puzzle game about invasive brain surgery that somehow won Best Kids Game at the German Game Awards, which was one of the weirder moments of my life. Wow. Okay. I distinctly remember just typing at my colleagues, like, is something missing in the translation? They're like, we have no idea either. I think I don't like what's going on. Um, and then around that time as well, I saw an open call from Abaddon Books going like, hey, do you want to do an event with one of our shared worlds? And I'm like, you know what? Why not? Okay. And that kind of led into the novel writing and the full-time game development. So... Goodness. So you have got a lot of creative energy, clearly, and not much inhibitions, which is a great combination, at least in terms of what you're good at. That's a nice way of putting it. What's that? That's a very nice way of putting it. My cousin likes to say I have no self-preservation. Well, uh, you're still here. You're doing all right. 
And so um, do you, like when you think of yourself, identity is always weird in terms of create like professional identity. Do you think of yourself as a fiction writer or just a creative in general that's looking for an outlet? Or do you really think of yourself as a writer primarily? What's your, what's your vision of yourself? How do you describe yourself? I usually tell people I'm a writer because that spans the whole spectrum of things right. that I do. Um, and I think I have a very pragmatic view of it, despite how prolific I am. It's it's still a job. I am ultimately interested in the paycheck. I would like a sustainable way to live. Okay. And that is often the focus. I think it's from like having really blue collar parents. Really right. Blue. Right. So you, so you really, it's, it is on some level way you, make your living and you, yeah. you understand it that way but obviously like uh you you write what interests you i assume like certainly in terms mm-hmm. of fiction um and you within the range of science fiction fantasy and horror this is is that always been your interest in reading or was that where just your interest in writing led you definitely always been my interest in reading i bounce off literary Mystery was fun, but I kept expecting to find a ghost or a demon and was always disappointed at the lack of it. I do love chick lit and those frothy romances, but I don't have the right temperament to write them myself. Right, right. Okay. So you have a so were you were you a gamer as a, a kid? Were you into games? Oh god, yeah. yeah. So much so. One of my earliest memories has been like video games and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um and I'm also like I was born at the exact right time to grow up with the internet. So yeah. I think it was 11 or 12 when the internet finally made its way to Malaysia and the world just kind of opened up and like technologies just started growing faster and faster and MMOs showed up. So like a lot of my identity became melded right. with that world. With that world. And um, do you think that informed your fiction writing at all? When you think, when you, when, when you I mean, it's a different thing, but it's still a creative endeavor. Um, only in the sense that I people keep telling me like you have to settle on a brand and kind of thing that you like to do. But I like experimenting with all of my works, all my stories, my short fiction, and mess around form and function, um, choice of words, tone, what have you. And I think it comes from that period of time where everything was new and everyone was just throwing everything at a wall like that. That part stuck with me. Yeah. Um, but everything else, uh, my fiction is informed by, like, my background in Malaysia. Malaysia is a multicultural country, and it is incredibly steeped in the cultural knowledge and the traditions of the various ethnicities that are there. So in America and a lot of the West, it kind of compresses everyone into a single identity. Mm-hmm. But growing up in Malaysia, you know, legends from... Um, Indian culture, from Malay culture, from indigenous culture, Chinese, all the little things and the supernatural stuff. In Malaysia and Southeast Asia, was fascinated with ghosts and demons and oh, really? supernatural things. Um, yeah. And and did you hear a lot? Of, were there like folk tales, just or just like a yeah, general, just a sense of it, just just talked about casually in conversation? How were you aware oh, of it? Talked about casually in conversation. Everyone had a ghost story of their own. Uh, Malaysia, I think, had and does still have the same approach to supernatural as I think Japan does, in that everyone knows about everything. But everyone just kind of goes through life normally. There's no question about whether evolution exists, right. well-rounded or flat. 
right. knows the scientific bit? But we're also aware of all the little details in between, like the Hunger Ghost Festival with the get ties and the performances where they have. That was normal. Right. We're also knew not to look up into the jungle at night in case someone looked down and removed the bones out of your skin. Wow. Uh, it was just a thing. So both realities existed, coexisted oh, yeah. in your mind, the supernatural and the scientific. There was no yeah. conflict in, in your in your own mind. I, I think, at least for me, I don't know if it's true for some of the other uh, ethnic groups in Malaysia, but growing up, the kind of Buddhism that I, I not, not understood or practiced, but like the weird melding that we had, it told us we were all going to hell regardless. It was just a question of how long oh. our <laughs> tenure in hell was going to be. Was it going to be like five days because you were a jerk at this point in your life? Or was it going to be 10,000 years? And the whole process was incredibly bureaucratic. Once you were done, like, I, with your punishment, you could just leave. Oh, I see. So so in, in your... So there's no fear. I see. So in your con, the Buddhism that you, as you understood it, was there was a hell, which I did not think there was in Buddhism, but unless I've misunderstood it. But you're going to go to hell, but it was not forever necessarily. You just go do your do your time, right? Yeah. Go do your time, and then you get to go where? Uh, reincarnation or enlightenment ah. or what have you go through when post you'll make you drink your thing and off you go to the next round of things. Okay, got it. Um, but because of that, it was possible, I think, to just have science and magic and the supernatural coexist. Yeah. Because you didn't have that fear. It wasn't a thing to, like, stare at or question or worry about. You're just like, well, okay. This is what it is. It this is what, is what it is. Did you think it, that you were somebody who was like, oh, I got, I did this, and I did that, and I thought this, and I... And I've got my list of things, and my days in hell are getting longer and longer with every year. Or did you not add it up that way? No, and I still don't. Um, I don't know if I fully believe in any of this. A lot of it, I think, is cultural, but some part of me is like, I trust in that bureaucracy. Uh, everything I've been told about it is it is just, it is meticulous, and it is fair. Got it. So whatever happens will happen. And I have a life to live before that. Excellent. And so, um, all right. So this new book's coming out. Um, the salt grows heavy. I believe I did it. I said it backwards. Yeah. The salt grows heavy. <laughs> I do like You like the heavy grows the salt? It's a little more, uh, <laughs> no, it's, I want to say poetic or something, but salt grows heavy. I like it. Um, how are you feeling about it? How do you feel about your books? Because when we're talking, it's a week from the, the pub date. How do you feel about your books as the day of their publication approaches, what do you what are your thoughts about them? I always feel terrified. It's like letting out a puppy into the road and closing the door behind you. Yeah. Um, the book becomes the ownership becomes owned by the rest of the world once That's it's true. released. It changes and morphs. It's a different thing depending on who reads it, and it's scary and it's interesting to see how people interpret it. But also a little bit terrifying. It's fun. Yeah, well, you know, it's so interesting. You are, I, you are, you are speaking my language, but you're the first author who, when I've talked to about this, has led with the book now belonging to the to the reader, which I 100% agree with. You know, it's like it's yours until out it goes, and it must belong to them. But so you have to get comfortable with that giving up ownership of this thing that you spent a year or two sculpting I, and loving. I think and, it's 
podcast already on the road writing because of uh, my work in game development. Uh, writing books is an incredibly solitary affair. Although yeah. that's always on virtue, you have editors, copy editors, etc. Et but right. look, we'll move that aside. But with games, especially if we're talking about working in like triple A, where you have teams of up to like two, three thousand people, so you have to understand whatever you do belongs to the project and the collective. You are feeding into this machine, into this creature. Right. And you are trying to support all of these other components, the visuals, the audio, the art, um, the programming, the design. And having that be like eight hours of my day every day, it teaches me to just kind of release my work and just hand it over. Oh, it's good. It's you, you, your ego, you, you're sort of forced to not have a tremendous egoic identification with every word you put down. It doesn't really belong to you, which I think is so helpful. Don't you? Th I mean, because otherwise you sit there protecting because I, I imagine uh, your readers, the world of readers has gotten more and more vocal as <laughs> Goodreads and Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. And so you hear from them and probably most of them love it, but occasionally one of these infidels will not like your work. And so uh, maybe that's helped you a little with when people don't like what you've done? Yes. Little? Okay. Occasionally, look, ask them for the ones who email me and they're like, you need to put down the Tessaris and stop showing up the SAT stuff. Uh, like, one, I, I wasn't raised in America. <laughs> Two, oh, wait, that's not really my brain is stuff like that. How dare you? <laughs> I just spent like a lot of years reading the dictionary. So yes, I'm a nerd, but in a very different way. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You don't need this. You they can't. They don't understand how packed your mind is with the English language. Uh, and you, love, if it's there, you're going to use it. And I love the language as well. I think it's because I came to it not late in life, but later than a lot of people would in, like, the West. And I'm fascinated with how the language has magpied from so many other languages, so many other cultures, because of terrible reasons, admittedly. Right. But pulls from so much, and there's so many different conventions, and English is such a wonky, wobbly little language where you can turn nouns into verbs and verbs into nouns and descriptions. Yeah. And it's so beautiful in that uh, sense. I love the chaos of it, the entropy of it. And so it's something I like playing with, the way some people play with like words. Yeah. Yeah, you do what you like. You use all those words. And if those people don't like it, go read somebody else. You know, it's really because there's going to be so many readers who are going to appreciate the way you use language, not just because they probably savor it, but because they like to learn some stuff too, occasionally see a word. You must... Occasionally in your readings, you might might encounter one you don't aren't already familiar with. I'll bet it doesn't happen often, but it, it doesn't must. happen often. No, I don't think it would. I don't think it would. But every once in a while, it must. And I would think, I don't know. Does it please you that you get to go look it up or to discover what it's it means? Or you after giddy pleasure every single time. Uh, Robert McFarlane's Landmarks is one of my favorite books of all times for that reason. Essentially, there's one writer went through different landscapes in case you're not familiar with the book. And basically looked up at all the place works that used to exist there and just talked about it and how people are collected and how people make use of it, which have vanished from use. And one of my favorite words that I discovered was wolf-like. That's so what is what is the word? 
wolf light. Wolf like? Light. Light. Wolf light. That last little bit of light as sunset falls oh. away because of like the color of a wolf's eye and the darkness I found. And now it doesn't fall. That's a great word. Oh, we gotta revive it. Bring it back. <laughs> Bring it back. Uh, the book also posits something that is incredibly interesting to me and something that stuck to me. Even though parts of me sometimes goes, maybe I should make my language leaner. Or I do that for my defense. Like, anyway, he talked about how streamlining language or removing this place where it's this very specific word has kind of disenchanted us. We have lost our fascination with the natural world. We've lost our fascination with small, minute details because everything is flattened. When a mountain is just a mountain, we don't think about all the details and all the life and all things associated with it. And yeah, just the, work you're not gonna, don't let it happen. You let yourself, you know, you lead by example. You remain enchanted by life and words and others will follow. You know why I think they'll follow? Because it feels good to be enchanted. And here's one of my foundational beliefs about human beings. Despite all our complaining, and all our gripes and all our cruelty, sometimes we like to feel good. and We don't like to feel bad. And so if you can lead by example and be enchanting, people will follow you because it feels good to be enchanted. Magic feels good. It, it Are you with does. me? It, Are you with me? <laughs> uh, there are a lot of writers out there on social media who embody this. Carlos Hernandez and C.S. Cooney, if you go through the Instagrams, the social, even their writing, the sheer amount of joy and verve and life that they can be in, it's things that I aspire towards. You and can they, do it. Yeah. And you I could... do like the tr trend in TikTok randomly. Uh, I think a lot of Gen Zers uh, talk about romanticizing their life, framing little videos, moving things around. So it's a more beautiful example of the real world. I just fucking love that so much. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. I think you need to, I, I'm all for framing every experience in the best way possible to understand it, whether it's your own life or experience you've had. Hey, life is a story we're telling, right? We're telling this story. And most of my suffering, Cassandra, has been when I've told very bad stories about myself, my life, or people I know. Tell them on purpose. Okay. The salt grows heavy. The salt grows heavy. It's out there. It's awesome. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. If you're into this stuff, you're into this stuff. But I'm not done with you yet, Cassandra. Oh. I know you have so much publicity to do and so much work to do and so many games to write, but I'm not quite done with you because I want you to finish this sentence. Oh, you've done a lot of writing. You've done a lot of writing. Busy, busy, busy person. But think about all the writing you've done. And if it's taught you anything, it's taught you what? About just life or yourself. It has definitely taught me that every creative eventually sees their world and their life in metaphor, and that writing is tremendous as a way of understanding both oneself and the world around them. I and if you look at the box, sorry, let me finish that. If you look at any writer's body of work, you can see genuinely the things that fascinated them, frightened them, or tormented them. And if you follow the body of work across the years, you can sometimes see the resolution of it. Um, the last books of every writer's life are inevitably some of the most poignant things you will ever read. That is a fantastic answer. That is a fantastic answer. And the first time I've heard that, having 
in this specific way, having asked it probably 1,500 times. So wow. good for you. I like it. I like it. And I love the little optimism you give us there at the end that people's last books are the most poignant. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. Cassandra Kaw, you are a delight. Congratulations <laughs> on the book. And uh, best of luck with it and all the terrifying stuff you're going to write to follow. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you so much, Bill. It's a metaphor. It's just a metaphor. Everything we create is a metaphor for life and what we care about. It's true. It's true. Listen, I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. I want to thank all of you out there for listening in. And, uh, you know, until the next time we chat, I want you to go find something you love to do and do it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.